Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, it is hump day, everyone, June the 9th. Welcome in. J.C. Sherbert here with you, talking Gamecocks here for the next uh, 40 minutes or so. 45, 50 minutes, uh, whatever, take your pick. We're going to get right to it today. Lots of mailbag questions to talk about. We got a new sponsor for the mailbag. We're going to tell you about that. Um, also, uh, it's Wednesday. So this is JB and Goldwater Day for me. Uh, got a, a pretty big celebrity <laughs> on uh, the JB and Goldwater show today. In addition uh, to myself, I think he's before me. Shane Beamer will be joining the uh, JB and Goldwater uh, show uh, today. And also, I have to announce that uh, Mike and I, Mike Morgan and I, on the JC and Morgan College Football Podcast. If you don't listen to that, go ahead to Apple Pods and subscribe. Um, it's good stuff. If you like general college football talk, we talk mainly SEC, some ACC, Pac-12, Big Ten, big picture college football stuff with myself and Mike Morgan from the SEC Network and ESPN. Uh, tomorrow we'll have Shane on too. Uh, so it'll be uh, – hopefully we'll ask some different questions and uh, you'll get two times to hear from the head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks right here uh, during what is a uh, pretty critical recruiting period for the program with different players coming in and, and going out. Right now, there's some official visits on campus wrapping up today. Uh, we'll tell you about those uh, as well. Ramon Brown, running back from Richmond, Virginia, is one of those guys, four-star guy. Uh, certainly a player that, you know, Carolina and Montario Hardesty have gotten in on a little late uh, as far as with the other schools and stuff. Virginia Tech feels pretty confident about that kid. Uh, and a lot of Richmond kids go to Tech. Um, but also Penn State's in the mix. That's where my crystal ball is right now. Uh, we'll see if that holds. I, I may flip it to Virginia Tech or maybe Carolina. Uh, another guy on campus, uh, two more defenders, Abdul Carter from Pennsylvania, the number 10 player in the state of Pennsylvania for 2022. 6'4", 235. Listed as a linebacker, probably an edge guy at South Carolina, although maybe not. We thought Brandon Spikes, who uh, was this size, and, and quite frankly had similar film and similar measurables coming out. We thought Brandon Spikes would be an end eventually, but he ended up being a really good middle linebacker playing in the NFL. That, of course, he went to Florida uh, out of Shelby, North Carolina. Uh, and kind of – I'm not comparing Abdul to Brandon Spikes because – Spikes is a proven guy and just a, a beast, uh, but he's that type of guy, you know, at linebacker to where, you know, you can project him as an edge, but also say, uh, you know, he, he may be a backer. Not sure where the Gamecocks are with him, uh, but he's another one of those guys, special teams coordinator Pete Limbo and the rest of the staff has been working sort of, you know, north of D.C., uh, really north of North Carolina because, you you know, Gamecocks are more active in Virginia right now. I've explained the issues with the, the Tidewater area of Virginia, the 757, which is a place that, you know, you really have to sign one guy and then keep going back. It's, it's a lot, you know, it, it, it's one of those places where, you know, once you sign one in 757, you, you can kind of start with a pipeline. Um, it's a real tight-knit football community. Uh, and that's, of course, Virginia Beach, Hampton Roads, Norfolk, Norfolk, however they say it. Uh, and so, you know, th that's the part of Virginia that, that's problematic, I think, for a lot of teams right now, uh, including South Carolina, because North Carolina, with Dre Bly, uh, has kind of become the team to beat. You remember way back when Matt, Mac Brown was there to begin with, they got Ronald Curry out of the Tidewater. It's, it's kind of right there. And, you know, if you look at <clears> – <throat> You know, if you were doing a heat map or whatever of where teams were popular, uh, I think the whole state of North Carolina and then the Tidewater would be, babe, you know, that baby blue that the Tar Heels use. Um, but Ramon Brown, who's visiting today, he's the Richmond area. So it's that's different than Tidewater. And Shane Beamer, when he was at Virginia Tech and Oklahoma, 
did a fantastic job recruiting that area. So he's got some connections and we'll see if they can make a push with Brown. Like I said, with Abdul Carter, I don't know. We have, both of those are four-star guys. And then this kid, Felix Hickson, who I have a crystal ball in for the Gamecocks, Watched more of his film the other day from Jackson, Georgia, defensive tackle, 6'3", 285. He's on his official visit. <sighs> impressive. Just just an impressive guy. I, I just uh, – the more I watch him, the more I think, man, this kid, if the Gamecocks end up with him, could be a pleasant surprise. I also uh, read from Rusty Manziel from Dogs 24-7 that Georgia wants him to camp. And if he shows out at that camp like he did on film this past season – uh, I think old Felix Hickson could be getting a dog's offer. And I wouldn't blame him one bit for offering it. I mean, he, he's a big, physical, athletic kid. Um, but the more I watch, the more in my mind he becomes a super, you know, it would be a super important get uh, for the Gamecocks. So those guys are all there. Uh, Jaden Gibson, Jalen Gibson, actually. I think it's Jalen Gibson. Uh, just wrapped up an unofficial visit to South Carolina. I, I – Honestly believe uh, with all of my heart and soul <laughs> uh, based on the feedback I got that the Gamecocks really put themselves in good position for him. Uh, Jay Den Gibson, sorry. 6'4", probably bigger than 6'4", based on what I've been told. But listed 6'4", you know, 6'5", 185 from West Orange High School in Winter Garden, Florida. He's a player Steph's been on for a long, long time. Um, Eric Kimry spent a lot of time with him. He's a four-star kid per 24-7 sports, high three-star per composite. Uh, Florida 66% on the crystal ball, Miami 33% right now. Uh, and he visited visits Miami this weekend officially. Going by Florida State for an unofficial, the Knowles have a lot of momentum right now in recruiting. Uh, and that's, um, you know, that that's something to keep an eye on too because he is a Florida kid. And they're putting a priority on that. But his unofficial visit to South Carolina really couldn't have gone any better. Uh, and Justin Stepp, I think, you know, based on the feedback, he he's kind of showing you why he's such a good recruiter. Um, you know, just because, of, hey, look, th- these other schools have bigger reps than the Gamecocks right now. Their program's probably in a little bit better shape. Um, as far as the one loss record the last couple of years, plus, you know, you got some schools closer to home, yet the Gamecocks are right there in the mix. Don't know if they'll get him, but I do think that uh, they made an impact. And with Jaden specifically, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he didn't use an official visit. So he's coming back for an unofficial. Baylor is also in the mix uh, for him. And, hey, a familiar name is recruiting him for Baylor, Chancey Stuckey. You guys remember him from when he was at Clemson during the Bowden era. Highly regarded quarterback, ended up playing some receiver. and uh, I think he was on that, that 2003 team that beat the Gamecocks 63-17. to 17. So we don't need to always remember Chancey Stuckey around here. But uh, I thought that was an interesting name. Uh, Billy Gonzalez recruiting him from Florida. Obviously, he's got a big track record. Uh, second stint at the University of Florida. So competition is stiff uh, for Jaden Gibson, but I, I I think the Gamecocks made a pretty good uh, display of things uh, and uh, did a pretty good sell. And uh, they're right there in the thick of it. And with a kid like this, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you shoot your shot and if it doesn't work out, then you go and get, an, uh, you know, another guy. Uh, but wide receiver is definitely a big need. I, I'm telling you, I think, you know, you look at it on paper right now and you're like, well, the receiving course should not be in the shape it is. You know, you have some guys, you know, we're Trey Smith, heavily recruited guy, Rico Powers. Um, you have some, you know, Amarian Brown comes in from Georgia Tech and, and he, he caught 30 passes as a freshman, set uh, tied Calvin Johnson's touchdown reception record. Um it's just not it's not there yet. And I, I was told over the weekend, I was like, it's not that, you know, these guys are all hopeless. It, it, it's just that, you know, you, you hear the term fatal flaw. All of them have something that they, they, they don't – it's not just that they need to tighten up or work on, but it's just that there's a long way to go. Now, whether that's route running, hands, speed, 
uh, knowledge of the offense, you know, you, you name it. It's like every guy has a, a big old wart. Um, but I was also told this. <laughs> I said these receivers. I mean, I was told these receivers have heard that, you know, because they're not they're not you know kids these days, players these days. They hear and see things, and they really have a chip on their shoulder about it. You know, so the motivational factor there is probably good. And you know, Shane Beamer and everybody else has talked about how hard that room is working. And and I tell you, sometimes at receiver, you know, a lot of it has to do with natural ability, but there's also uh, something to be said for working because um, you got to work on route running. You got to hit the jugs machine, get your hands right. You got to know the offense, you know, nothing. You, know, you can't do much about your speed, but you can get comfortable enough with everything to have more better game speed. You know, like some of these guys, I think run really fast when they're on the clock, but then they, they get in the game and it, it's a step slow. And that's a sign of a player that's not really confident in his abilities, you know, so we'll see what happens over the summer. But I mean, look, they're, they're not going to wait around and wait for these guys that are on campus to dramatically get better. They're going to, they're going to go try to recruit, recruit their way out of it and get some guys, you know, and, and the good news is too, you know, you look at a Jaden Gibson and, and a CJ Smith from Florida that they're in on, you know, Pete Kikawaka, Kikawata, for Maryland is coming in on official. I have a crystal ball in for him for South Carolina. Addison Copeland from New York is a crystal ball in from South Carolina guys from Buffalo. Um, you know, they, they've got, they've cast a wide net outside of the state, but you know, you, you look at it and, you know, at the beginning of the cycle, I think we're all wondering, you know, where are the uh, in-state receivers? At? You know, because they, uh, we've been harping on this. I've been harping on this for a long time about, well, who, uh, you know, who within the state outside of Antonio Williams could they go get? Cause there's usually a lot. Um, and lo and behold, we go to, um, you know, camp season and here comes some guys and I'm going to write about this on the Probably we'll make it a free article. Don't be alarmed. If you see in-state players pop up with no offers, that are legit takes. And, and this has happened twice. You know, DJ Jackson, the D-line from Sumter, had an NC State offer and others. But, but don't be surprised if, you know, th- there's more Kyla Hortons out there that pop up and get offered. Uh, or Jaden McGowan, who I think once he gets healthy uh, after running 4-3-5 and can come in and, and work out, uh, I think he's an offer candidate as well because you just can't coach what he's got, which is elite, elite speed. Um, and so here we go. So there's the – and, you know, you, you go beyond that too, and, and there's Xavier Short from Chapin uh, who ran 4-5 and 37, 36-inch vertical, 36-and-a-half. Uh, you know, they're looking at him as an H-back. He's 6'2", 208, maybe, maybe just a good receiver, you know, and, and all that. So – uh, here come the in-state receivers. And, so, and if you look at the history of the Gamecocks program, um, most of the, the receivers that uh, have done really well and gotten drafted uh, are guys from South Carolina. I mean, you know, Shai Smith this year, Brian Edwards before that, Debo Samuel before that, like doorsteps. They, they kind of went boom, boom, boom. Um, you know, 2016 is Pharaoh Cooper from North Carolina. Uh, Jarrell Adams who's a tight end, receiving tight end, also from South Carolina. Uh, you go back through Bruce Ellington in 2014. Uh, now, A. Sanders was from Manatee, Florida in 2013. Alshon Jeffrey in 2012, second-round pick, and it's from South Carolina. Uh, you go back, Kenny McKinley was from Georgia, the late Kenny McKinley. Um, 07, Sidney Rice, Gaffney. Troy Williamson in 05 was a first-round pick, Silver Bluff. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, you can go, you can go back, you know, probably since 2000 uh, and see that South Carolina University of has taken a lot of South Carolina receivers and put them in the NFL. They've been pretty good. And not all of them have been, you know, among the highest ranked players in the country. You know, Shai Smith was a, a low four star. Edwards was a low four star. Devo was a mid three star. This, these are composite rankings. I mean, but you, you know, you look up at Clemson too. Mike Williams and DeAndre Hopkins uh, 
for a while there, New Hopkins was probably one of the best receivers in the NFL, if not the, you know, low four-star guy out of Lake Marion for Williams and low four-star guy for Hopkins out of Daniel. I mean, you know, Bruce Ellington was rated as a basketball player. Farrell Cooper was considered a, maybe a defensive back. <laughs> uh, you know, so, so my point of all this is, with the, not just the receivers, but everybody else that pops up, uh, especially from in-state, but sometimes from out-of-state as well, you know, keep in mind there were no camps last summer. So Jaden McGowan, for example, I'm using this as an example, you know, couldn't show up at Carolina and run 4-3 and get an offer and then run routes and get an offer. Okay. That just, uh, you know, that just didn't happen. Uh, Kyla Horton could not camp anywhere and he's playing eight-man football. Uh, so, so you sort of had some guys that were known off rep that got the lofty rankings because, look, people like 24-7 Sports and Rivals and ESPN, they still had to put out rankings. Um, so you're doing an off-film and offer list, basically. Nobody's seeing anybody in person. No coaches are seeing anybody in person. There, there's not hard data and measurables because, you know, let's be honest, uh, at the high school level, players and some coaches – you know, they're going to, they're going to fudge a little bit. Oh, he's six feet tall. And then you get him on campus and he's five ten. And when you're splitting hairs, talking about 25 uh, people to sign in a cycle and, you know, who to offer, who not to offer, who to prioritize, then, then you were definitely, you know, worried a little bit uh, about the, you're sweating those couple of inches because there's another guy that you can go get that may be three inches taller. And that's a little bit better. Um, and none of that happened, you know, for the during the entire pandemic. Uh, and so, don't be surprised with sort of the way they do rankings way too early these days. And if I, if I, if, I mean, you know, look, you look at it from one in one. You have to put out rankings because you know what what twenty four seven sports what they've done and is is rank them earlier and earlier and earlier. And, and it's gotten even earlier since I stopped being, you know running the rankings, doing the rankings, whatever. Uh, they've done it earlier and earlier and earlier. And in football, I just don't think that's fair um, because it's a situation where, yeah, you know, you're ranking the class of 2023 and, you know, there's there, there's some guys you're going to rank high, you know, the, the guys that are impressive on film, the guys that have the big offers, you know, you're, you're going to rank them high, but, you know, you've got hundreds of other guys that, that are going to end up being better by the time all is said and done. Now, for the most part, you know, I, I think that our guys and whoever else's guys have done a good job of adjusting that. But with the pandemic and the lack of in-person evals, you know, you're, 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 you got an even wider delta. And for 2022, there's a bunch of big guys ranked already, you know. Uh, and the tendency in this industry, and I've worked at it, is to just to, to not want to be wrong so you don't really move guys down. People get really upset. You know, players get upset, fans get upset, coaches get upset, parents get upset when a kid's sitting there at four stars and he drops to three simply because there's 30 guys that you found that are better. That's tough. It's tough to explain to people. You know, it's like, look, there's a range. There's only so many three-star guys. You know, it's in numerical order, and, you know, that's how it kind of works. You know, that's difficult. It's a difficult conversation to have. I lived it for 10 years. I, I know. Um, so the, the, I, I would be very, very careful at attaching. And I say this a lot about star ratings and, and, and don't judge a kid just because he's got mid, you know, a middling star rating or whatever. Judge every kid different. I think it's sort of sick and twisted that, you know, when you got to commit to your school that, Fans bash the guy if he's not four stars. I think that's ridiculous um, because a lot of players end up being really good. Uh, but I'm just talking about the reaction. I, you know, I, I do think that you know, this is not a stars don't matter argument. This is a this is going to be a very interesting year evaluation and rankings wise when all is said and done because there's just so many unknowns and there'll be so many guys that pop up. Uh, and then, like I said, they had to rank them anyway. And so, you know, like a Kyle Horton, 
you know, I, you look at him, you know, 6'4", 190, 4'4", runs great routes, had a blistering two days at camp at Carolina, impressed at Clemson. Uh, eight-man football, though. You know, 41 points a game in basketball from what I read. Eight-man football, though. So, you know, whereas Horton athletically probably projects at the four-star level, you know, when you're splitting hairs, and there's a ton of receivers that are going to get ranked. Uh, that that's the biggest, long, deepest position out there because you you know you, you'll you'll play four or five at a time you know so you sign you know that many um, when you're splitting hairs compared to everybody else the eight man football thing is going to come into play so I wouldn't expect higher than a three star rating you know Jade McGowan because he's sort of off the radar doesn't have the big offer list you know probably again won't be rated all that high now Antonio Williams now is a known entity. Big offer list, all that. So he'll 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 do that, and he'll go up. And uh, there's going to be a great debate around the state, I think, eventually about Antonio Williams versus Adam Randall. Right now, in composite, you know, Williams is fourth in the state. Randall's fifth. Uh, Williams is 159th nationally. Randall's 160. You know, so there'll be a big debate about that. I think, you know, especially if one goes to Clips and one goes to Carolina. Randall goes to Clemson, Carolina, and Carolina gets Williams. That's that's a debate that will last the, the test of time. But if you're the Gamecocks, you sort of hope that it doesn't turn out like the Grady Jarrett versus Philip Dukes debate of a few years back. <laughs> Philip Dukes, I tell you, I, I was stunned Philip Dukes didn't turn out better than he was. I went to see him play. He and John Fulton over at Manning, and he was dominant in, in the game I went. Just a guy that was – athletic this was when he was a junior you know he got a bunch of offers and Shane Beamer actually ended up landed him he, he landed Jarrell Adams and Philip Dukes there at the end and uh outside of a few plays here and there Dukes didn't do much and Grady Jarrett last time I checked was one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL so, so that happens you know and, and I'm sure you could go back and compare Debo Sam let's go back let, let, let's do that right now Let's go back. Debo Samuel, class of 2014. Who'd the Tigers take at receiver that year? Okay, so, yeah, they signed five. So, this is a good this is Deshaun Watson's year. So, Artavis Scott had a really good career at Clemson. I think Debo Samuel's better than him. Uh, Travion Thompson was solid. Debo Samuel's better than him. Damari Kitt, for some reason, was four stars, couldn't hack it at Clemson. Debo Samuel's better than him. Kyron Priester left, I think. Debo Samuel's better than him. Uh, and then Milan Richard was a, a tight end they signed that was four stars that never played. Boy, this 2014 Clemson group of receivers and tight ends, outside of Arteva Scott, nobody really did much. That was the class – uh, Deshaun Watson was in. All of them had big ratings, though. Uh, but Debo is better than all five of those guys, and you know, right there at Chapman High School. So, my point of all that is, is that you know, you can look at it two ways. I brought up J- Jarrett versus Dukes, but you can also look at it Debo versus the field here in 2014, um, and that happens. Of course, you know, it's hard to sit there and feel sorry for Clemson when it comes to. Uh, receivers and and with this bunch here this was kind of the the bunch before the national titles and all that you know mike williams from lake marion who the gamecock should have signed had jay graham not left they would have had him he was better than all these guys so you know point point being <laughs> uh is in-state receivers at, in the state of south carolina sometimes pan out well and yeah and in this group with clemson i mentioned not not a one of them was from South Carolina. Scott was from Florida. Thompson, North Carolina. Kit and Richard were from Georgia. Richard's a tight end, though. And then I think, you know, Priester was a, I believe, a Georgia kid that went to Fork Union prep school. So just look at it like that. You know, I, that, that, that's that's the deal there. And, um, and look, I, I think South Carolina's receiving class this year is going to be kind of a mix. Uh, I think they're going to Probably end up with some in-state guys, but then I also think, like we talked about Gibson earlier, I, I think some of those guys are in play as well. 
uh, Addison Copeland from New York, something like that. So I, I, I think, you know, they'll probably, you know, I, I'm thinking four. I think if it's the right one and there's no brainers that want to come, there's probably five. Uh, I know numbers are a little tight and a lot depends on, you know, who steps up this year that's already on campus, but that that's kind of what, uh, what my opinion is uh, on that subject. So receiver recruiting, all that good stuff. So it's, um, it's just one of those things. So, so we'll see. Uh, Texas A&M baseball note, they're hiring TCU's Jim Schlossnagel, heck of a hire for Ross Bjork and the Aggies. Uh, across the board at A&M now, you know, you have Jimbo Fisher, Buzz Williams, and now Jim Schlossnagel. So Texas A&M has been doing a pretty good job of hiring sort of no-brainer coaches. I think that, uh, you know, you look at that, if, if you're a Gamecock, you're probably like, eh, you know, crap, because you're disappointed about the season. But um, anyway, uh, th- that's the deal there. Uh, Jake Helfrich. Um, walk-on quarterback, has to have heart surgery. He's a, uh, a guy they got to, to kind of walk on, pray for him. And this guy, they would pray for this guy first couple weeks, and they were informed that they need to have that. 18 years old, you just hate to see it happen. Um, a lot of bad news, a lot of bad news you know, uh, out there these days. And, and, and this is one that, that that's bad right now, but, you know, hopefully he recovers. Um, yeah. And then, so that, that, that's the deal there with, uh, uh, a little news note there for Jake Helfrich, the, uh, walk-on quarterback, the Gamecocks had coming in, just hope that he's okay. Uh, looking forward to, more official visits this weekend. We'll talk more about that on the recruiting trail. Uh, a lot of college football playoff expansion talk, and I'm sure Mike and I are going to get into this on JC and Morgan, but you, you sort of, you know, start t- thinking about how does this impact South Carolina? Cause probably we'll talk about the impact on the sport. Uh, and Pete, uh, Pete Thamel and Dennis Dodd both had articles about it yesterday about, um, Dodd seemed to lean more towards an 18 playoff. Thamel seemed to say that the 12 is what's on the table. Uh, I'll say this. If I'm the SEC, uh, and, and this was mentioned in the articles, I'm pushing for 12, pushing for 12, uh, especially with automatic – if they have automatic bids, you know, you have five from the power five and then one group of five. If it gets to 12, I have no problem with the G5 getting um getting uh you know an uh, an automatic bid at 12 uh cuz i you know i i think you know, some of the time you could justify that i still you know you got 12 versus 13 one by one team's played nobody one team's played a brutal schedule and there are a lot of brutal schedules coming up i mean i mentioned you know georgia in addition to the sec has texas and clemson on the schedule coming up Florida State on the sky. I mean, you know, Alabama opens with Notre Dame and Ohio State back to back down the road. So, uh, and and yeah, Nick Saban signed a contract that will have him there through twenty twenty nine. You know, so, so how do you how do you square that? You know, with get letting a group of five team that you know n- never <laughs> never plays anybody into the playoff. That said, legally. The group of five conferences are a part of this, and uh, there was mention of the L word lawsuit. Uh, and it, if they didn't get an auto bid, so I guess they're going to force it through. I think that's crap, quite frankly. Uh, and I, I think this is one of those things that makes no sense in college athletics, you know, because you, you're treating them like they're peers, but they're not. Uh, and, and it's just, I think it's time for everybody to just admit it. Just admit it. They're not peer schools. They're on a different level. And so that's uh, that's the bottom line. Uh, of course, some of these G5s, I think, you know, if they start making the playoffs, then maybe they can recruit a little better because right now you're shut out. Uh, but, you know, 
we'll see. You know, I think a lot of these schools should have never left FCS to be honest, but uh, that's just me. And, and, you know, if it's eight, I have a problem with them getting an auto bid. If it's 12, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be less fired up about it. Although I do think there's going to be some controversy uh, with some of these teams that just don't play anybody. You know, they just don't, you know, you, you can't sit there like UCF claiming the national title. Great. I'm glad you did, but you, you can't sit there and, not play anybody and then beat a unenthusiastic Auburn team, which looked playoff bound after beating Georgia and Alabama, you know, a month before uh, in a stadium that they just played in, in Atlanta, which is, you know, an hour and 45 from their campus. So they're not even, you know, off someplace that's cool. And you beat them by a touchdown, you know, you, you can't sit there and claim that that's some kind of championship game. I mean, in my opinion, uh, you know, just because you beat Auburn and they beat whoever else. I mean, I think obviously you know, that's the reason you have a playoff and Bama and Georgia were, were the two teams. So that's uh, that's the thing there. You know, as far as South Carolina, I look back and, you know, the Spurrier era teams. And so if they do auto bids and, and that was all in place back then. You know, South Carolina obviously has – the SEC championship game against Auburn as an auto auto bid to the playoff game. Obviously that didn't turn out too well. Uh, I think that, um, you know, the, the 2011 team was probably a team that, you know, they did either gotten in or, uh, I, you know, everybody would have been bemoaning that loss to Auburn. Um, cause you look at it, if you're, if you're doing a 12 team deal, you know, obviously, you know, Arkansas, uh, you know, they beat, they smacked the Gamecocks a little bit. They were 10 and two that year, Alabama and LSU played for the titles. Maybe, maybe Arkansas sl- slips in above the Gamecocks. Georgia won the division, but the Gamecocks beat Georgia. So because they lost the SEC championship game, you know, do, do they get, you know, do they get four in from the league? Gamecocks finished ninth in the country, you know, ranked in the top 10. So a really good year, you know, really, really good year, but maybe Arkansas slides in above them. Interesting 2012, the Gamecocks finished ranked eighth. But Georgia and Florida that year both, Florida was ninth and, of course, beat the Gamecocks. When the season ended, you know, Georgia was 11-1. and Obviously, I think that Bama game where they took them to the wire would have gotten Georgia in. Uh, Florida, honestly, under Will Moschamp at 11-1 and with a 33-point win over the Gamecocks probably would have gotten in. Gamecocks probably would have been left out in my opinion, on a 12-team deal, even though they finished ranked eighth. And that was probably their best team. You know, I I just don't know how far that 35-7 win over Georgia would have carried the Gamecocks from midseason till the end. 2013, this one, you know, obviously with the BCS system, it makes you sick to think about what could have been. It was a wild ending to the year. Gamecocks finished ranked fourth in the country. Uh you know, at the time, you know, I mean, the Tennessee loss killed them that year. But you look at it, you know, Carolina, I think 2013 definitely gets in. They had a road win over UCF, which was a top 10 team. Uh, and was, I mean, they gave UCF their only loss. Uh, they beat Missouri on the road, which is a top five team at the time. Uh, in 2013, they, they also, they beat uh, – well, Florida wasn't very good. They beat Clemson. Clemson finished seventh, eighth that year. Alabama probably, you know, would have not made the play. I mean, I, I, yeah, Alabama probably would have made the playoff with two losses that season. Or one. They had one loss. They lost to Auburn. So you're probably looking at Auburn, Alabama, and then there's South Carolina, Missouri, if there's three SEC teams. But, I, you know, 2011 and 2013, even though the 2012 team was probably better than those two, uh, the Gamecocks probably make it. It may be down there at the bottom or number 12 seed, and they may have had to go on the road, but Gamecocks make it. And I think 
you know, in the SEC, and look, they're talking about the top 12 teams making it and no auto bids. Now, that, and I, I'm not in agreement with that. I think, you know, if you're going to still limit it further, I mean, you need to spice up the conference championship games as de facto title games. Um, you know, and I understand like, oh, well, it's just a conference title. That doesn't mean, you know, whatever. It's one game. But I, I need to spice that up a little bit and, you know, make sure that, you know, because then you know, schools like Northwestern, you know, can really claim they're in the playoff because, you know, survive in advance. You win this one, you get in. You know, even though some may have bowl games later or whatever. And I don't know. We'll talk about the bowls at a later date. But, uh, you know, so so I, I think for the Gamecocks, you know, you're, you're looking – you're in the SEC East. It's a tough division. What you're trying to do is go win the East or compete for the East. Well, in a 12-team playoff format, you, you know, you, you look at those three teams that did not win the East 2011-13, you know, you can make a claim. You can still get in. You know, and and that's been the height of the program. A nineteen eighty four team would have made it in, even with the loss to Navy. Uh, so, so you know, if you're looking for playoff access, and you're the Gamecocks, it's much more realistic to shoot for the top twelve than to, you know, stay undefeated and roll through the SEC and, and win the SEC championship. Um, so that's that, that's my take on that. I, I think an expanded playoff does help South Carolina. Uh, doesn't help the game. I don't know. Get into that on JC and Morgan tomorrow. And I'm sure I'll talk about that a lot, you know, as far as the actual sport. Uh, I think right now in our sport, there's a lot of disillusionment. Disillusionment, is that a word? Or a lot of people are disillusioned. Uh, and look, I'll tell you why. It's because of Alabama. You know, everybody talks about Clemson, and, and I think Clemson's right there in everybody's face in South Carolina. So that they obviously feel that, and Clemson is a, a team kind of like Auburn that, that that Auburn has had Bama's number at times when Nick Saban's been there. Clemson definitely has had their number, uh, you know. And then there's Ohio State, obviously is good, but but nobody's out there recruiting like Bama, and nobody's done it for 12 years. You know, I just went through the Clemson receivers they signed in 2014. You know. <laughs> they're, they're 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 signing really good talent. Clemson's recruiting at an elite level. There's no doubt, but Alabama's just at a different level, and they've sucked the oxygen out of the room. I mean, you know, I, last year, you know, they, they just rolled through it again. I mean, and 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 this has been going on for 12 years now. And and so at the end of the day, you know, you're just like, well, it's Alabama and everybody else. Fortunately for the SEC. You know, a couple of other schools, LSU and Georgia, have broken in and made the playoff because it's the SEC. But uh, that—that's the reason. You know, it's it's like that. You know, and this, so you got Bama, and they're at a different level, even in the Southeastern Conference most years. And, and so then Oklahoma and Clemson are both really good programs. Believe me, Clemson's elite. I mean, I'm not I'm not knocking them. But I don't think there's a Clemson fan alive that would tell you that they play a murderer's row of a schedule every year. I mean, you know, they give them credit for scheduling some tough games. But, but, but you know, they're – and look, I'll, I'll go back. I'm not even going to knock Clemson's schedule. I'm going to say the ACC behind Clemson has bottomed out. I thought in 2016 – that may have been the best conference in college football because of all the quarterbacks and you look at the results and Clemson beat Bama and you compare it to the SEC and there's quarterback issues all up and down, you know, Auburn, a four loss Auburn team ended up going to the sugar bowl. I mean, as the runner up or whatever, you know, it was a 2016 was not a good year outside of Tuscaloosa for the Southeastern conference. But since that year, the ACC has gotten worse. It's bottomed out. <laughs> I mean, it's worse. It's, it's worse. Uh, and so they have a clear shot. Oklahoma, you know, you wouldn't think this because I, I looked it up. Texas has had a higher rated recruiting class four out of the last five cycles than Oklahoma. Oklahoma's won six straight Big 12s. You know, and, and they rarely lose more than one. When they lose more than one game in a season, they'll still win the Big 12 and they'll go to the Cotton Bowl. 
But most of the time, you know, they're good for a loss, whether that's to Iowa State or Oklahoma State or TCU, you know, one team a year, Texas, whoever beats them. But, but, but they're the class of that league. So when you're just dealing with, you know, the criteria that the committee uses now, which I think it's a blend of old and new school ideas. I think old school wise, you know, in college football, it still matters if you go undefeated or have one loss, how many losses you have, no matter what your strength of schedule is, you know, that still matters. Notre Dame had a schedule full of teams with big names and every one of them was down Virginia tech, Florida state, blah, 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 blah. Southern Cal list goes on. Yet they made the playoff a couple of years ago because they were undefeated. Undefeated still matters. So that's the deal there, uh, you know. And and I, and I think that you know that that's unfortunate. But you know, you you do have some teams that have been making it that, that have clear shots just about every season, and that helps. I mean, the the poor Pac-12. I mean, people knock it, and I agree. There's an issue out there with with California talent leaving and coming east, or a lot of it heading to the Pacific Northwest and, and playing it for Oregon or Washington. But those teams are all, you know, you, you stack up the Pac-12 top to bottom against the ACC. Clemson's going to run away with the whoever's number one. But the, the rest of that league's probably going to beat the snot out of, you know, the other ACC teams. Maybe, you know, maybe not North Carolina this year. You know, maybe in some cases, you know, you'll have – Stanford beat a Wake Forest. I mean, our Wake Forest beat the state. I don't know. You know, Washington State maybe Arizona down. You know, they may lose to a Virginia or something. But uh, you know, and, and everybody talks about how it's the worst league, but really it's not. You know, you, you tend to judge leagues based on great teams, but you know, you look at the depth, and it's like, well, you know, Pac-12 is a lot more competitive. So, you know, you look at it like that. So, anyway, that, that's my playoff thing. We got mailbag questions. And uh, we have a new sponsor for the mailbag. Sponsor for the mailbag. I want to sit there and I uh, want to definitely pump these guys up. If you're a business owner, you're always looking to save time and money. And that's where iHelp Consulting can help. iHelp is a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses Save money on expenses. Whether you may be paying too much for credit card processing, believe me, when I started the Big Spur, credit card processing fees are a pain. <laughs> As someone that makes money off processing credit cards, believe me. Uh, if you want internet, insurance, anything else, I help can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality, okay? And remember uh, that if I help can't save your business, any money, then you don't pay them anything. So it's guaranteed. You got a guarantee here. That's right. If I help, cannot help your business. It's no cost to you. So call or text Daniel Owens, really good guy. I know him at I help at 843-372-5713. That's 843-372-5713. Or visit ihelpconsulting.com to schedule a free comp consultation. Consultation. That number again is 843-372-5713. I help consulting. How can I help you? Uh, guys, look, if you're a business owner, again, uh, you're always looking to cut costs, uh, improve the bottom line without sacrificing your quality. Uh, I encourage you to give Daniel a call. This is a like a, a very cutting edge type of business, in my opinion. You know, so many people utilize what, what his skill set is in business. Uh, and it's great to have kind of a one-stop shop there uh, for people to save money, improve your bottom line, you know, without going and firing people or cutting back staff or whatever. You know, times are great some places, not so great others in terms of the business community. So you're kind of looking for every edge you can get. Again, call Daniel, 843-372-5713. Uh, it's the I Help Consulting Inbox on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. First one's in, and anyway, there's two ways to get in the I Help Consulting inbox. First is to tweet to at the Big Spur Pod, and we hope that uh, you follow that on Twitter at the Big Spur Pod. Randy says, with the speculation of the 12 game playoff being implemented, which I think is the best way to create parity, more teams should be able to play for the title, and it should hopefully add some balance. 
I'm curious of your thoughts. What will college football like, look like in five to 10 years? I kind of went through that as a subject, um, you know, five to 10 years, who knows what it's going to look like. Uh, I, I do think that those of you that are out there believing that Alabama is suddenly going to fall off and not sign elite talent or, you know, some team in the SEC, ACC is going to catch Clemson. I, you know, I wouldn't expect that anytime soon. But I do think in terms of interest and, 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 and the stage being set for drama, uh, a 12-team playoff would, would probably work. Um, will it create parity? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I just don't think so. I, I just think that when you look at college football – there hadn't been – I mean, Clemson's really the only program that went from, like, division hopeful to national title winner uh, in quite some time that, that wasn't already there. And I know Clemson was really good in the 80s. Um, and so, you know, the great programs do sometimes come back. But it's not like Clemson had or has had 100 years of Alabama-type success. Bama was good in the 30s. They were good again under Bear Bryant. They've had a lot of big eras. And maybe this is like the second big era of, of Clemson football, but you know, who else has really done it? Oregon would probably be in that mix because they were horrendous before Rich Brooks took over and he was there for 17 years. It took him 17 years to get to the Rose bowl. Um, and they haven't won one yet, but they've played for it twice, you know, and, and then, you know, Virginia tech under Frank Beamer obviously played for it once and won some ACC titles, but, you know, most years, with the exception of 99, when they had Michael Vick, they weren't a team that you know, the Hokies weren't really a national contender, national title contender. So it's very hard, you know, to, to, to have upward mobility in college football. And I, and I think it's because, you know, perception drives the sport. And I think that's what's been so unfortunate about some of the overhype uh, from fans and media on star ratings. I think that, you know, we've gone from a period where like when I was doing it, you know, this is what it is. It's a projection. We'll see what happens uh, to, okay, well, you know, this team has all these star rated teams and are rated players on their team and uh, therefore they should be good or you should fire the coach. And that's just not always accurate. You know, you want to fire the coach for, misevaluating guys that's fine but uh you know it, 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 people just assume you know and, and then the portals made it worse because there are a lot of guys out there that had big reps and, and ratings coming out of high school that are in the portal that aren't worth us great aren't, aren't worth anything you know they're, they're not good they were just missed evaluations or they got to college and couldn't stop being recruited and thought, you know, didn't want to work or whatever. I mean, there's, there's a slew of guys like that. And, and, and fans and media buy into it. Oh, four-star guy. He, you know, he's going to make it, you know, the, the whole hype I mentioned the other day about Eric Gilbert and, you know, Darian Kendrick all of a sudden, oh, there's two five-stars going to Georgia. And then, you know, people start parroting title or bust. And I'm not knocking Georgia. I think they're going to have a heck of a team this year. But is that fair to Kirby Smart? You know, because you have one guy that is going to have to get qualified academically that's transferred twice this offseason, you know, coming back. And, you know, they say they're going to play him at receiver at 6'5", 253, which I think will work if he gets eligible. But Georgia already has one of the best tight ends in the country, John L. Washington. And then Darian Kendrick, who – has all the talent in the world, but some off the field issues. And then when, when he faced some really good receivers on big stages, he got toasted. So those two guys are going to, you know, that means Georgia is going to win the whole thing title or bust. No, Georgia could win the whole thing. I mean, I, I wouldn't rule Georgia out, not this year, but honestly, I mean, you start talking title or bust based on five-star rep in the portal. Uh, high school's over, man. I mean, th that's the thing. It's like, you know, high school, that'd be like me, you know, sitting there going, well, I was voted, you know, most likely to succeed. 
you know, coming out of, uh, or now I'm, I'm going to use another analogy. Say you're voted best personality, right? Back in high school, you know, and five years later, you know, you've gotten down on life. You've gained the freshman 70. Your girlfriend dumps you. You're failing out of college. You're bitter as hell. You know, you're, you're a jerk to people because you're just bitter and upset and, you know, self-indulged. Do you still have the best personality in your graduating class? No. And I think that gets lost. You know, a star rating is great for fans to look at. It's great to get excited about signing a highly ranked class. There's no doubt the more highly ranked classes you sign, the better your chances are uh, to build a roster that can win a championship. Um, I will caution you that sometimes those highly ranked classes, the highest rated guys in those classes aren't the ones winning championships for you. That's just a fact. But, uh, you know, they're great for that. And it's great. It's fun to see who gets ranked high. And I love it. I mean, I built a business off of it. But it's not so much the positive, you know, feelings about getting a highly rated recruiter, having a highly rated class. It's the negativity when you don't. It's the complete dismissal of programs that, 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 that don't or, or, or players that don't. The programs don't bother me because there's always going to be like, you know, bias in terms of certain programs because of brand. But the players, they don't deserve that. They don't deserve it at all. So anyway, Randy, I got off on a tangent. Thank you for your question. Uh, again, it's the iHelp Consulting mailbag here on the Big Spur. I mean, sorry, the Big Spur pod on Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Uh, Hudson, I will, con- I will respond to your email. Uh, it's a, not a Gamecock um, topic. Mark also had a playoff question. Mark, I hope I answered it. Cartwright says, Hey JC, what film can I watch that will give insight on plays? Marcus Satterfield has called in the past. I was under the impression that Baylor, it was rules offense. He was not calling plays there, right? No. He did call plays at Temple. What's his offense? This is not going to be similar to the Temple offense. This is going to be uh, a lot of Joe Brady influence formationally and and play-wise. And, again, uh, the the beauty of theoretically of Marcus Satterfield's offense is uh, it's versatile. You know, in other words, this is a year South Carolina – is going to have good talent at tight end, good talent at running back, good talent on the offensive line. Um, and uh, so they're going to be a run-oriented team and a, and a dual-threat quarterback in Luke Doty. So they're going to be a ground-oriented team, but they're also going to have a good passing game and it's going to be creative and all that. You know, there's sometimes – obviously you saw when Joe Brady had Joe Burrow and all those receivers, they were bombs away. Five wide on first down, let's go. Um, and that and this offense is capable of that too. There's some Lincoln Riley elements to it, especially in the run game, quarterback run game. Uh, and then some stuff from Temple that he got. And you can go back to Tennessee Tech and all that. Um, as far as uh what film can you watch, I'd go back and watch if you want if you want to kind of look at the Temple stuff, go back and watch. Um, and, and if you want to get a feel for his play calling. Go back and watch. There's a Temple Penn State game on there. There's some other stuff on YouTube. Uh, and look, his Temple offenses did not rank very high. Uh, and I know he did not call Baylor's offense uh, under rule because Baylor uh, had an he hired an offensive coordinator and then Satterfield was available, so he went to Baylor. Uh, but Matt Rule said if Joe Brady got a head coaching job in the NFL. Satterfield's probably going back to the NFL. So I, I don't think that Matt Rule is uh, anti-Marcus Satterfield play caller. Um, we will see, though. I mean, I'm not – you know, I, I've learned my lesson about guys that are really good in meetings and on the chalkboard that know their stuff, you know, after living through Kurt Roper because Kurt Roper can sit there and t- – you know, he's a guy – he's like a guy that uh, can tell you all about the plane, can tell you how the instruments work. I uh, could tell you what to do in any weather situation. You can identify, uh, you know, weather patterns and, and, and approach patterns and, and 
can tell you everything, all the switches, how it works, different types of planes, um, all that. You know, aced ground school. But when he got in the plane, he couldn't fly the plane. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I learned my lesson there, you know, and I'm not at all comparing Marcus Satterfield to Kurt Roper because I think they're cut from different cloths. I, I had I had some speculation about Roper, and I'll tell you where it came from. Duke played gosh, it was Florida State in the SACC title game. That was the year they went and, you know, ran it, ran up some offense on A&M, which David Cutcliffe was calling those plays. Uh, but, but one thing I noticed, and, and Cutcliffe was probably calling it with Duke, is, you know, this may be a Cutcliffe philosophy, is once Duke got out of the game, they, they, they didn't really try to be that aggressive. Like, I guess A&M in the bowl game, which everybody remembers, they forget about the ACC championship game. Um, they weren't really aggressive. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. Um, so when they ran, he, when Kurt Roper ran up against pretty good teams, it, it seemed that way at Carolina too. It was a little more passive. Um, but that, you know, you, you would have never known. You really didn't even know that about Roper. You sort of saw some signs in the 2016 Clemson game where, you know, or, or actually, I'll, I'll start with 2016 Florida because they go down and Gamecock defense got what four or five turnovers that day against the Gators. Uh, the Gators actually won the SEC. No, yeah, yeah, they won the SEC East that year. Four or five turnovers with the defense, and the offense was just so conservative and tight in that game. And I'm like, you have a don't have a good offensive line. The Gators' defense is really good. You know, you have receivers, Jake Bentley, you know, and, and it was nothing like the Tennessee game plan two weeks before, which was aggressive and creative. Jake make plays, called RPOs, dialed them up at the right time. And so that got me thinking. And, and then late in that game, if you recall, after it was 20 to nothing, they opened it up. Jake completed some downfield passes. They cut it to 27. They're firing at the end zone at the end. Um, and so that, that happened there. And then the Clemson game obviously left a lot to be desired with the run over to the sideline, which threw everything off. Now, that game, that game was not going to be close regardless. But it was extra bad, you know, because of, of kind of the cattywampus way they tried to work it. So – you know, and, and and those are all play call operational issues. You know, but by the time you got into 2017 and you saw the fact that the Gamecocks had some really good players, even after Debo got hurt, you saw Chai Smith, Brian Edwards, Hayden Hurst. Uh, and and it's, the use just wasn't there. And, it, it, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, they went into a shell at Texas A&M instead of stepping on the juggler. I, you know, at that point, you go, hey, this guy's not really good in game. Uh, and I, I thought Brian McClendon actually did his credit at the start of games and initially, you know, they they dial up some plays at the beginning. Game guys go right down the field. But, you know, the adjustments were what got him. Uh, and then Mike Bobo, you know, I thought just play calling-wise, even though the results weren't there, had a good year calling plays last season. I, I really did, especially early you know, at the end with Doty, I think it was just kind of a one read and go kind of deal. But, um, you know, I thought Mike Pobo was a pretty good play caller. But for as far as Satterfield goes, you know, go look at Temple. But, you know, like I said, I, you know, we'll see how it goes this year in terms of, of feel, you know, because feel is different than knowledge. Feel is different than knowledge. So we'll see what happens. But thanks, Cartwright, for the, uh, a great email. Eric says, since recruiting is such a big topic right now, I'd like to ask some background questions. Can you take us through what recruiting looks like for a typical Power 5 level prospect from freshman year to signing day? What does the communication between the university and prospect look like? Well, you know, you can't really talk to them daily. I think until after their junior year or September of their junior year. Um, freshman, you're going to get a lot of mail, a lot of mailers. You're going to get invited to camps and unofficial visits where they can talk to you, same as sophomores. Um, 
the mail is still a big deal. You know, now there's electronic mail too. You get these days. Um, he said, I heard recruiters sometimes talk to kids every day. What do they talk about? They basically just check in on life. Um, they're not lengthy conversations, but sometimes they are. Uh, and that's good if you're a recruiter uh, and you try to build a relationship. I mean, that's kind of what it is. Uh, he said, I never got past second string at Easley High, <laughs> so I have no exposure to this process. Go Green Wave. But given how important recruiting is, it would be great to have more of a window into what the coaching staff is doing to build the next couple of classes. Yeah, they're on the phone a lot. They're constantly communicating. You have a staff that helps you with that, too. Uh, and it's about, you know, all recruiting decisions are based on comfort level. Uh, in other words, you know, the, the player 98% of the time and then the other 2%, 95% of the time, if they don't make it based on comfort level, they transfer. Um, and nowadays, the number will probably go up, to be honest. Uh, it's based on comfort level. They always go where they're most comfortable. Now, uh, comfort level is facilitated by relationships uh, in a lot of ways. Now, people say, oh, a lot of good these relationships do because this kid went to Georgia and he said he liked Carolina staff the best. Yeah, because he was more comfortable at Georgia. Great relationship with the Carolina coaches. But, you know, and, and this is where I think around Carolina, sometimes we, we expect coaches to be magicians. Um, but, you know, kids loves the Carolina staff, but he's more comfortable at Georgia because Georgia's been winning, uh, can win a title. Uh, that's important to him to be comfortable. You know, in some cases, it's the de degree I've seen some guys like and, and the degree thing, unless it's a very specific degree, it, it, it sort of gets overblown a little bit. Now, some schools like Georgia Tech, you know, where it's basically all engineering and a, a smattering of other stuff and then like management or whatever, where they, they put a lot of unless it's a, a school like that. Most of your big schools have the same stuff. You know, really good school for this, really good school for that. So it's rare that a kid goes, man, I'm, I'm going to this school because of the chemistry department or, or whatever. Really good chemistry program. Um, it's basically they all have the same thing. But, uh, you know, so that's, you know, that's part of comfort level, though. And I, I've, I've never I've rarely seen an act. I mean, like Myron Rule, big time, big time player. Big-time recruit, went to Florida State. He's now a doctor, uh, super intelligent kid. But everybody kind of thought, well, he'll go to Stanford or, or someplace like that. No, and he went to FSU, which was the hottest recruiting team in the country just <laughs> at the time. And, uh, yeah, he went to medical school and is now a doctor like he always dreamed of, and he's just fine. You know, Florida State doesn't exactly have, you know, the rep that a Stanford does. So – Academics take those with a grain of salt, but it, I've, I have seen it happen where that overwhelms the comfort level and all that. Uh, you know, some schools like to take shots at other schools' academics. I think that's ridiculous. I think that, and I think that backfires on a lot of coaches that try to do it. But um, we'll see. But yeah, that's a good question. And you know, any more questions about specifics as far as the process goes? let me know. But, uh, you know, as far as, you know, football recruits should not, and I know they do at times be, you know, very few should be heavily recruited as freshmen. I know they're looking for quarterbacks early and stuff like that, but very few football players should, should be just because there's a huge difference physically, you know, guys grow. I mean, it, you know, you, you can't, you can't project the sport that early. Um, but, yeah, you start getting mail, you do all this, all that. Then you start visiting and, and going to camps, things like that. So that's it. But uh, Eric out in Denver, Colorado, thank you. Thank you for getting into the uh, I Help Solutions inbox. I'm sorry. I Help Consulting. Sorry about that, Daniel. <laughs> I Help Consulting inbox. Again, give them a call if you want to uh, help your business. I mean, I'm all for saving money as a business owner myself, 843-372-5713. I help consulting the sponsor of the inside the game Cox mailbag. All right. I got to jump off because uh, 
Tide 100.9 is about to call me, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I'm on Wednesdays at 8.30 Eastern, if you ever want to listen to that. that that's kind of like a J.C. and Morgan type segment because it's more, you know, we talk South Carolina a lot, but we also talk, uh, you know, general college football, college athletics in general. Um, don't forget Shane Beamer is on JB and Goldwater today. I am on JB and Goldwater following Shane Beamer. And then Shane Beamer is on JC and Morgan. Uh, that podcast episode will drop Thursday afternoon, recording it Thursday morning. Uh, and yeah, continue to hit up the I help consulting inbox inside the game at gmail.com or tweet to at the big spur pod. And uh, we will get your questions read and all that. Hope everyone's having a wonderful Wednesday. This is J.C. Sherbert signing off inside the Gamecocks podcast.